Welcome to the Sassy Biker Sister Podcast. I'm your hostess, Erin Bailey. We will be hearing from some amazing lady bikers around the United States and beyond. Whether you have ridden, hope to ride soon, or currently ride motorcycles, front, back, or sidecar, this podcast is a can't miss. We will share some of the best roads, destinations, tips, and laughs as we chat with our Sassy Biker Sisters. Today, I talk and laugh with an Army veteran who has almost 100,000 miles in the saddle. She is the co-founder of Wheelchairs for Warriors. Please welcome Heidi Hansing. Well, as we do on Sassy Biker Sisters, tell me about your bike. Oh, girl. (laughs) Okay, so I've anthropomorphized my bike. Uh, Her name is Aurora, and this is Aurora 2.0. This is my second bike. and so I got, she's a 17 Heritage Softail, Harley Davidson Heritage Softail, but no longer really a Heritage because when she was about 10 months old, I had her for about 10 months, um, I hit a, an eight point buck oh, dead wow. on in uh, Nemo Canyon in South Dakota during uh, Sturgis Bike Week. And I was leading a small group, and that bike was, I never even saw the deer. We were coming around a corner. There there was nobody in front of me. We had originally been in a long line of bikes, and the last two guys, in Nemo Canyon, there's campgrounds on both sides, and the last two guys had kind of peeled off to the right into a campground. We took a big, wide curve, big um real graceful curve and you know how you accelerate out of the curve I was I was bringing my bike back up and I was accelerating um and never even saw the the deer the people behind me said the deer was not running it was bounding yeah and it bounded to the edge of the road and then bounded again like like it thought it was going to clear me maybe and it I never even saw it till he was on my windshield Wow. And my bike went down and was kind of scraping sideways. I, this is probably not the first story I should be telling on yourself. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but um, I heard I was I was actually praying out loud um, while I was riding because I didn't want to. Um, we knew it was dusk. I knew the deer were running. I didn't want to hurt anything. I love wildlife and. I feel like sometimes it's such a privilege to be out there amongst the wildlife, but I do, um, I do get fearful for of hurting them. So I was mid prayer when the deer struck, and I heard two words. It was almost audible, and everything just went really slow. And I heard two words that said, "Go limp." And I was down, I was sideways, getting side, scraping. The people behind me, all they saw was dirt and parts and and kind of like an explosion, sparks. Oh, goodness. And I was just real slow-mo, and I was hanging on with my knees for dear life and down on the side, and I just let go and rolled clear and... um and ended up minor, minor injuries. Didn't even go to the doctor, Aaron. And it wow. was really a God thing. I really felt like, like I was protected. Sure. So anyways, the deer, the, 
the deer demolished my bike. The only thing that was really left undamaged was the um, the frame mm-hmm. and the the engine, the motor inside the frame. And um, so I hauled the carcass of my dead bike all the way back to Texas <laughs> by way of Montana and, um, and then rebuilt it as a bagger. And so that's the picture that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, so rebuilt it with a stretch tank, stretch bag, stretch fenders, really stretched her out. And she is, that's why she's a 2.0 because she's been rebuilt. Okay. And um, because she's carried me into the freest era of my life, um, I will, I, I feel like she's kind of a mechanical version of me and my life, mm. destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt. And um, that's, that's why I'll never get rid of her. That's awesome. She'll always stay in my iron horse stable. <laughs> <laughs> She'll retire. Yep. That's awesome. Well, yeah. good. And we're glad to see you today outside of that accident. My goodness. Yeah, that was um that was kind of a, a pivotal point in my writing. Sure. Um, but it didn't slow me down and it didn't set me back. So good. I will never give up writing. In fact, Aaron, I really needed, like, people were like, how did you, how did you get back on your bike after that? I mean, that was, the state troopers were like, wow, you're lucky you survived. I'm like, hey, too soon, guys. (laughs) I'm standing next to the carcass of my bike, and they're like, hey, you're lucky you survived. And I'm like, it's a little too soon to be bringing that up. I'm still dizzy. Um, But it really took me um, maybe, I took one day off. And then I was back on someone else's bike Good because that really is my way of coping sure. with stress or strain or um, hardship. I get on the bike and that was exactly my go-to has been and, and will always be from now on. Excellent. Well, you brought up before we really started, you brought up your um, cross-country rides. Yes. Tell me how those started. Oh, well, it's started with um, a small group of girlfriends that had a lot more experience riding than I did. I was um, a newbie rider, um, still within my first half a year, six months of riding. Um, I had already upgraded from a sporty. I had started with a a little sporty, um, put a couple thousand, put a few thousand miles on that, maybe about four. Mm -hmm. And within four months, I was like, I need another gear. <laughs> and right after I bought the the soft tail, I hit the road um, out to West Texas. And I, it was the longest ride I had ever taken. Uh, I had not ever done cross country before. But it was about a 14-hour day in the saddle. Wow. And I realized I really loved it. Like that, I found my groove and I realized that it was very addictive, you know, Mm -hmm. like kind of cruising through one landscape into another and within a whole day experiencing a, a vast array of, of, um, you know, weather 
and landscape and terrain, and I just really loved it. And probably at my one-year anniversary mark of learning to ride, mm-hmm. I wanted to challenge myself with a with an iron butt. Yeah. Um, and and so I did an iron butt from Wisconsin to Texas, mm-hmm. um, and you know did all the paperwork so it could be audited and I could be an official recipient of my little certificate. But it was really just a challenge. I was like, okay, for I can I I've done 14 hours in the saddle. Let me see if I can go a thousand miles in 24 hours. And um, I did it. Don't have to ever do it again. Because <laughs> that was brutal. Mm. That was that was not riding for the joy of riding. That was riding for, to amass miles. Right. And that's a very different kind of riding. And I'm very much a cruiser. I love to, you know, in, just smell and observe and stop when I want to stop. And sure. um, and so that that taught me a lesson that, I, you know, I can pound out the miles, Erin, but um, only if I have to, not necessarily because I want to. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather enjoy the ride. Sure. You know, right. so. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're, help me with the pronunciation, Nederland, Nederland? Nederland, yeah. Nederland, okay. Yeah. Which is kind of clo- close to the coast and yes. just east of Houston. Correct. Yes. Okay. Almost into Louisiana. We're okay. near the the border of uh, Texas and Louisiana. Okay. And how long have you been there? Well, I just settled here a little over a year ago, although I had lived here a couple of decades ago. So my family is here and I have friends that go way back. Um, but I lived on the road for about three and a half years, as you probably saw. And so that became very difficult moving from place to place. I was towing a trailer. My bike was basically my, I had an eight foot bed in my pickup. I had a diesel F-250 tow vehicle and I had a power ramp that would pull my bike up into the bed of the truck. Oh yeah. It so that I could travel and I could load the bike by myself without mm-hmm. the hair raising terror of a ramp, right? An aluminum right. ramp. Yeah. So um, that always amassed a small crowd whenever I was <laughs> unloading or loading the bike. People would come to say, oh, what is she doing? <laughs> they always wanted to see me, watch me load it and unload it. Um, but that became very difficult in the year of COVID. Oh, and sure. I never really knew where I could day and if anything would be open because mm-hmm. more often than not I would drive up to a national park or a national forest and the roads would be closed and it just became um, really stressful and I started to stay longer with family and friends than I really and even that was stressful as, as welcoming and, and as hospitable as they were I was very sensitive about maybe wearing out my welcome, but sure. there really was no place for me to go. And it, and they were, a lot of the places had emptied out their, their um, RV parks or, and they had forbid, they were forbidding um, dispersed camping. Oh, really? So, mm-hmm. so I, even though, so I, I ended up parking 
staying with my son for a couple of months, and then I just got, this is in uh, March, April, May of 2020, the year of mm -hmm. COVID, and then I just took off on my motorcycle for about a month. I felt I could be a little bit more stealthy on a motorcycle than I could in a trailer, sure. and um, and I took just took off for a month and crisscrossed the country and um, and that was really interesting to to go through community after community after community that was just a ghost town, right? And um, well, I got back from that and I thought I need to I need to settle maybe someplace and get a hub because I did have. I did kind of have a fear of maybe getting sick while I was out on a road, out on the road and not having a support network around me. Sure. And, you know, where was I going to stay? Where would I go? Um, so I just decided to come back to where my family was. And I bought a little tiny little house and, and I for, forged my way from here. Excellent. <laughs> it sounds like you did the smart thing. Which is great. So when you travel on the bike, do you tent camp? Do you stay at hotels? Um, both. Okay. Um, preferably motels, because I like to stay on the first floor and park my bike right there by my door in case <laughs> anybody, because I don't like to disassemble everything off my bike, but sure. I do want to, I don't know, I have this notion that maybe I would be alert if somebody started messing with the gear on my bike or something. Mm -hmm. So I do stay in motels, but I hammock camp. I don't oh, okay. camp. Yeah. And the hammock is, um, is very comfortable. And as long as I can find uh, two supports, whether it's trees or maybe a covered picnic area or a pavilion of some kind, um, yeah, I'll throw up my hammock and swing away, swing myself to sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. I haven't overnighted in a hammock. Um, I have a friend that did quite a bit, but um, I mean, I've done the tent camping for years. Yeah. And I've always wanted to do a hammock and haven't tried it yet. I just wonder I, how it'll work with a little Yorkie. Mind yes. Yeah. Probably sit but, on my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, the hammock that I got is almost like a suspended tent. It's a Norwegian hammock called an Amok. And so you don't, sleep in it long ways, kind of mm -hmm. like a banana. You sleep in it crossways, like perpendicular to oh. how the hammock hangs. So yeah. you can sleep on your side, you can sleep on your stomach. You're laying basically completely flat. So nice. and it's and it has a zip up uh cover for um like a bug netting and then mm -hmm. also a uh like a rain a fly, a fly. Mm -hmm. and so you it's almost like a suspended hammock, uh, very spacious cool. and very comfortable. Um, and it has a little air mattress that slips into the pocket and keeps it flat. So, and I'm a side sleeper, so it's comfortable for me. That's awesome. I've wondered about that because I, if I sleep on my back, I end up snoring and that'll just bring all the bears. So <laughs> I wouldn't mind sleeping on my side on something like that. <laughs> but that yeah. actually sounds like a good viable option. It is. I love it. And it's, it's very compact. Mm -hmm. The only difficulty is I do love the desert. And there's not, unless I can find a, um, like a covered pavilion, there's really no place to hang a hammock in the desert. That's true. So, yeah. um, but I, everywhere else is fine. And I will stay in a motel if it's cold. 
Oof. <laughs> I'm a Texan. I don't blame you. If it starts getting down into the low 60s, high 50s, uh-uh. <laughs> I've been there and done that, and yeah. I have slept in full gear, including my knee-high leather boots, just to try and stay warm. Yeah. And and I just, no, I I, I will wimp out and grab a motel. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have anything to prove. <laughs> That's right. Not at my age. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, while you ride, do you listen to music? I do. Yes. What do you and, like to listen to? Well, it kind of depends on my mood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, Erin, when I'm feeling really badass, I want to play like heavy metal, rock and roll, uh, Volbeat. You know, um, if I'm feeling just kind of chill and laid back, um, I'll play blues. Uh, a lot of like hillbilly rock, hillbilly blues kind of thing. Um, and if I'm feeling really sassy and feisty, I have um, a station um, in my in my Pandora that's all female uh, artists, and um, that's when I'm feeling the power. And then I'll it, so it kind of depends on my mood. Um, and then sometimes when I'm out uh, in the like the absolute most breathtaking scenery. Sometimes I just have to turn it off and listen to the wind um, because I just don't want there to be any distractions from what I'm seeing because I have been through some scenery and some landscape that have brought me to tears. And, And the joy just wells up in my heart and I just, you know, you don't want, somebody screaming in your ear or, you know, sometimes it just kind of depends. But when I get someplace like that, I just want to hear the wind and focus on what I'm seeing and where I'm at. Very nice. Makes me want to go ride right now. Me too. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) So of all of the places that you've traveled, do you have a favorite Ooh, there's only one last pocket of this country that I haven't been on my bike, and that's uh, the Northwest, um, the the far Northwest, and I'm talking like Washington, Oregon. Um, but I would have to say, and I have I have ridden Hawaii as much as you can ride ride on Oahu. Zip around, zip around, bloop, bloop, bloop. It's like that's about as far as you can go. Um, I would have to say, I'd have to say Bryce Canyon in Utah is, has moved me to tears. Um, West Texas has mountains that I never even knew. I lived here for 20 years before I knew that West Texas had mountains. And I often call West Texas, Big Bend National Park, my happy place. Um, But and and I love Yellowstone just because even though it's crowded, Erin, and sometimes it it can get irritating because there's it's so crowded and I usually go through there in August, but to stop my motorcycle and watch the bison. Yeah. I could do that for hours. And yeah. it's just breathtaking. And I, I so I can't leave that out, but I also love the smokies. Oh <laughs> look, now how do I how do I decide? <laughs> you have a whole uh, list. <laughs> yes. 
Do you have a bucket list ride? I do. Uh, it's and it's Alaska. Is it? Yes. It's cutting up through the Canadian Rockies. Um, I want to hit uh, um, the Banff area, Sunshine Village, Lake Louise area out mm -hmm. there, uh, going up through Montana, because uh, I do want to hit Glacier National Park. Um, that was a ride I was supposed to do after my bike. That was on the agenda. That's why I was headed into Montana after my bike was wrecked that one year. And my daughter was going to meet me up there and ride on the back with me. And we were going to do um, riding to the Sun Road and, um, and Glacier National Park and then on up into Canada. But um, So that's still on my wish list. But Alaska, I have an itinerary from, from a dear friend of mine who's done the Alaska trip probably a dozen times, half a dozen times. Okay. So I feel like I've kind of got his cliff notes yeah. um, of where to stop, where to gas up, where to eat, uh, and and then how to get back. Like he said, he recommended taking a ferry ride back because they'll they'll load your bike up and you can camp on the on the bow of the ferry. Oh, nice! Because it's a couple of nights. Oh, that, wow! And, um, so I've, that is my wish list ride. That sounds for amazing. Sure. Yeah, and I, I was supposed to do it last summer. It's just been postponed because of uh, Canada was really locked down tight because of COVID. Right. So um, we'll we'll see. You'll make it. There you are. Yeah, I, I did do research, Erin, on a Trans-Siberian ride. Ooh. Crossing over. Cross. Yes, crossing over from Alaska. Now, interesting point. If you Google roads in, Sib in uh, Siberia, Nothing shows up on Google Maps. <laughs> it's like this area is not mapped. So I called a Russian friend of mine, and I was like, "Hey, there's roads out there. In Are there paved roads out there in Siberia? <laughs> the Trans-Siberian Highway, mm -hmm. which is extremely rugged and and so remote, and you really, I don't know that you could do it on a cruiser. You might need to have like a dual sport yeah. adventure bike." Um, but I did do some research on that, and I had contacted a couple of other um, bikers, male bikers, that had done it. Mm -hmm. And um, so probably not going to happen anytime soon. You never know. <laughs> not, not with the way things are going in Russia right now. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So, but that is, that has been, that was something I started to research two years ago. Very cool. Yeah. It's interesting when I ask about bucket list bucket list rides, most people stay within North America. It's interesting. Very few of them say, oh, oh I want to go rent a motorcycle over in Ireland and ride around the coast. And, you know, it, it seems like everybody, their bucket list is in the U.S. Oh, and there's a couple so of people in um, Canada, but most of them have stayed yeah. in, in the U.S. Well, and... Rightfully so, because there's still so much to see and explore. I am planning for this summer, I'm planning my 100K ride. So I'll roll over 100,000 miles on Aurora this summer. And awesome. my 100K ride, I want to get up into Shoshone Falls, Idaho, mm -hmm. and then ride westward into Snake River Valley in Washington and hit the coast. And then make my way down on the PCH from Washington through Oregon down into California. Awesome. So that'll that'll 
somewhere in that ride, I'll hit, I'll roll over a hundred thousand and stop and take pictures and video and all that kind of fun <laughs> stuff. <laughs> She's just getting started. Yeah. She's, I've taken really good care of her. So despite her, despite her rebuild and bumps and bruises along the way, um, she's, she's carried me into a whole new lifestyle. I just can't, I just can't even emphasize the symbolism that that machine has for me yeah. of what I've overcome, of what I've gotten through, um, my losses, my hardships, and I'm still trucking. You are. So with a great she, deal of joy. <laughs> good. Talk a little bit about your Wheelchairs for Warriors organization. Okay, so Wheelchairs for Warriors, I, I co-founded that with Crystal Larimore. Um, we are in our sixth year, Fantastic. and we are a national organization that basically is a safety net, kind of fills the gap between what some of our injured veterans and first responders are given in the way of assistive technology, um, through institutionalized care and what we believe they deserve because of how they've already served our country or our communities. And so we're, we're kind of there. We're usually the end of the road for them. They have been wrangling within the system for so long that they're discouraged. They are defeated, hopeless, and um, sometimes and we always remember, please, in, in perspective, we do get some of the worst case scenarios, they're suicidal because they're, they feel trapped or they feel um, like they're a burden to their family, to their caretakers. They really can't engage their lives because they're in substandard equipment. Um, and it's very difficult for them to go anywhere. And I think all of us, after ha having quarantined um, multiple times, over the last couple of years and kind of being trapped in your own space, I think we can all empathize with what that does to mental health and to relationships um, and whatnot. And I think it has opened people's eyes to the fact that if you are immobilized, you become isolated. And if you become isolated, it truly does become a detriment to your mental health. Mm -hmm. And so our goal is to get these guys rolling again, guys and girls. We get them rolling again in the in top-notch equipment, and it's all customized uh, to their capabilities, their lifestyle, their wants and needs. Mm -hmm. um, we don't leave any question unasked when we're designing these, um, and and then we we deliver them and train them how to use it. And it That's is important the, too. It is. You can just leave it with somebody. And expect right. that they'll know how to use it. Right, because the technology is amazing mm -hmm. now. I mean, we can stand some of these some of these people up and they can get up to eye level, they can reach up into cabinets, they can they can do for themselves. There's something um psychological that that is boosted when you are brought up to eye level with your peers and you're mm -hmm. not sitting at waist level where they're either bending over to speak to you or you're craning your neck to look up. Some of our some of our recipients are huge, huge yeah. men, and like six foot three, six foot five, six foot six, and they're used to towering over everyone. And now they're at 
basically belt buckle level. Right. And uh, so we, if, if they are, um, if they still have their limbs, we can design a wheelchair that will stand them up and support them so that they can, they can be at eye level with everyone. It's the most fulfilling thing. I'm a veteran myself and um, having served um, up to a certain point, getting out, starting my family, this is a way to find, to serve that is the most, has the most tangible impact because we see how it changes their lives and not just their lives, but also the lives of their family, their mm-hmm. spouses, their children, um, and to see them re-engage in their favorite activities. Sure. I can, I can barely get through a presentation without bawling. No. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll look at Kristen and I'll be like, can you believe we get to do this? <laughs> like this, it's just so fulfilling. How is it funded? It's all through private donations, uh, grant uh, donations, and corporate donations. So our private and our corporate donations go directly into the wheelchair program. We try and minimize our overhead to the point where we can apply for grants Mm -hmm. and have our overhead paid for with grants so that when we get a donation, it has the most impact. Sure. by going directly into a chair. And you serve nationally? Yes, we do. Okay. And we will go to the veteran wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll never have to lift a finger. Um, we will visit them and their family and, uh, and work with them on what it is that they want or need and visit them again when we deliver it. And so they, and it, it's zero cost to them. And we've served some Vietnam-era combat veterans that don't even really believe we're going to show up. They've just... I can understand that. They've been marginalized for so long that they don't even believe that we will deliver until we do. Well, they've lost a little bit of faith in society, I think. Yeah. And hopefully that comes back to them before they leave us. And, you know, I take every moment that I can when I see a Vietnam veteran to say welcome home. Yeah. And so many of them, I mean, every, everyone that I say that to just smiles and says, thank you. And yeah, you can just tell it makes a difference. Yep. Those, those guys are absolutely precious to me. They really are as a group. It's, it really truly is an honor and a privilege to serve them. It is. And to treat them like the heroes that we believe them to be. Oh, you know, absolutely. I'm going to make myself cry. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so thank you for your service. Oh, I, I consider it an honor. And um, I, I have the privilege now of annually riding with uh, Run for the Wall, which is a cross-country ride from California into D.C. right before Memorial Day. And that group is very near and dear to my heart. Um, this year, they, the last two years, it was canceled uh, because of COVID. They've never canceled in three decades. They've never canceled, not even because of hurricanes or tornadoes or uh, anything like that. Um, so this was quite out of the ordinary. And I, I still did my cross country. I did something with um, carrying flags, memorial flags across the country, um, escorting them on my motorcycle. But this is very meaningful to me and I'm that's the next ride 
next cross-country ride I'm planning, I'll get myself out to California. I'll ride solo out there, kind of enjoying my way through uh, New Mexico, Arizona. And then um, we'll ride cross-country. And then after that, I will return also with Run for the Wall, but it's called a sandbox route back into Illinois to the Middle Eastern Conflicts Wall, Memorial Wall, which was built by bikers, by the way. Uh, they raised all the funds for it. Uh, they acquired the property and they designed it, built by bikers. And um, and I'll pay my respects there. And then, then I take off on two weeks on a solo ride. So all of that is with the group. Um, mm -hmm. And then after that, it, I usually tack on uh, two weeks of solo riding. So... How oh, nice. Just yeah. get out there, you and the bike. Yep. Fantastic. Um, so let's flip back to the bikes. Yeah. Your bike. Um, we, we think that this podcast will help a lot of women that are kind of on the fence about whether to ride or not. Ah. Do you have any advice to women thinking about riding? Yes. Um, probably the most, the, First and foremost, I would advise that they go and take a riding class um, from a professional. It's and to not be taught by a loved one. Boyfriend, husband, girlfriend, sister, dad, mom, it doesn't matter. You will end up learning their idiosyncrasies that they've developed in their own riding style. And it really is important, I think, to learn the basics and to build a really solid foundation. You'll learn things about your bike in, in the process of mastering your bike uh, that you will not learn from a friend or family member. And I, I, like I can just think of one thing off the top of my head that's almost counterintuitive. Um, and that's the push-pull of turning your handlebars. Yeah. You know, it seems counterintuitive to push your handlebars to go, you know, in a certain direction. Sure. Um, and that's something that I think, and how you how you make your turns, because that seems to be a challenge um, for new riders. And something like that, that is so invaluable to know. Um, I think it's really important to take a professional riding class, get on their bikes, and test yourself and, and learn it from the ground up, just really laying a solid foundation. And then after that, you, it really comes down to miles. Practice, 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 start out in a, in a parking lot, then start going around the neighborhood. Um, and then you can get out onto roads, into traffic, you know, with sometimes the hairiest, scariest thing might be putting your feet down at a stoplight. Sure. You know, or even yes, like com coming up to a stop sign on a hill, like uh, yeah. you know, learn how to <laughs> learn how to feather your clutch, right? So that yeah. your clutch is still engaged a little bit so that you're not rolling. You don't feel unstable on a hill. Mm -hmm. Those types of little things, um, I think, are really, really invaluable. Uh, and then get yourself out there on the roads and start racking up the miles. And find your, find your saddle. I think it's really important to not being um, influenced when you're sitting on a bike uh, for how the bike fits you, mm -hmm. you know. 
and I think I think as you ride, you start to learn your style. You, yes, you learn if you're a joy rider. You know, do you want to just be a bar hopper? Do you just want to, you know, take like little day day trips, or are you a long distance cross country rider? You'll learn that about yourself as you get out there and put on those miles. So that's my advice. It's <laughs> great. All right, you told us about the. Um, interaction with the deer. Have you had any oopsies maybe early on when you were riding? Oh, I think everybody gets the, I mean, the one thing I tell myself is everybody's done this. Sure. Everybody's done this. If I make a mistake or something, um, I, I always try and tell myself this, but I, I remember one time that was very alarming to me, especially because I was already cognizant of it and it was on that iron butt ride i was i was already back in texas so it was about one o'clock 1 30 in the morning or so and i had gone over some, a railroad tie mm -hmm. like a railroad track and something i hit something really hard and i had my day makers on but i was really cognizant that i was getting tired and so I was, I was like, just pay attention, Heidi. Don't get tired because that's when you're going to make mistakes. Like, don't let yourself, you know, kind of uh, zone out because mm -hmm. then you will make mistakes. And I did. I made one of those mistakes. After I hit that, whatever it was, I felt like my back tire was kind of slippy a little bit. Mm -hmm. It just felt a little bit woo like that kind of wiggling in the back and it, that made me feel really worried I hadn't seen a vehicle maybe a, a truck like 20 minutes ago I was on these back roads wow. um, up in um, east Texas and I was coming into my final hour of riding so I knew I was at the end of like coming into a thousand miles right and I pulled, the, I didn't have to pull the bike over. I'm in the middle of this back road. I hadn't seen anything for 20 minutes. I should have just stayed in my lane and put the kickstand down, oh. but I didn't. I pulled over to the side, put the kickstand down. And it, when my feet went down, the there was about a four inch lip off of the asphalt into the gravel. Oh, no. And my boot on the right, which was on the ditch side, not on the <laughs> kickstand side. Right. Started, my foot was down so low that the bike started to lean. And I just thought, you, you know, when your armpits get prickly, yeah. <laughs> like, you, just start, you start this cold sweat and you're like, there, there I go, there I go, there I go. And I'm like, no, <laughs> literally screaming out loud in the pitch black. The only light for miles is, the lights on my bike and I felt myself going over and I thought my bike will just disappear down into this gully and no one will see me and I could get pinned under my bike all of the worst case scenarios were going through my head oh, no. and um I don't know I don't know how I don't know how I did this but my bike was still running and it was still in gear and oh. I accelerated and my my bike righted itself because 
you know, when you accelerate your bike, it just wants to stand oh. back up again. Uh-huh. And I went like this. I was like, ah! And I just, then I pulled into the center of my lane and I just sat there going, oh, oh, if I, cause I had the worst case scenario in my head. I thought I'm going to tumble down, roll down into this ditch. My bike is going to land on top of me. It's one o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there. No one will ever see me. I'm done for. I'm a goner. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, and that was just a newbie mistake because my eyes were so tired I just didn't I had no depth perception really left sure. within my field of vision I didn't notice that the asphalt dropped off so completely and really almost lost control of my bike at a full stop but so yes that was hairy scary you made it yep <laughs> and good. oh yes and of course I've dumped my bike and I yeah. did it I mean, those stories are almost like so par for the course, mm-hmm. and I and I have girlfriends that get really embarrassed, and I'm like, don't let those guys intimidate you. That guy over there that's been riding for 50 years has probably dumped his bike a couple times a year for every 50 years that he's been riding. Sure. <laughs> I said, don't let anybody intimidate you into yeah. thinking that dropping your bike is, you know, uh, um, it reveals a lack of skill or lack of mastery because everybody does you lose your footing on gravel you take a turn too sharp and your your bike kind of goes down on the crash bars and you kind of end up with this little awkward hop hopping off your bike (laughs) you you kind of lift your leg and hop off and it happens those are so par for the course it's like how do I pick a story to tell you but that one that one was that is seared into my memory and what was going on with your bike was it okay it, it appeared to be. I, I ended up in uh, Nacogdoches um, at the end of my iron butt, and I checked into a hotel, slept for a few hours, and then I took it straight to Lumberjack Harley-Davidson to have it checked out, and it was fine. They didn't see any, didn't find any wobbles, so Good. it may have just been in my head. It may have been that I just felt unseated a little bit and, and unstable, but no, no damage to my bike. So, well, I appreciate you joining me. I know that there are other things that you have been part of and done. Um, We will put links to all of your websites and um, your social media and everything so that people can look a little more about you or else we would be here all night. But I loved reading about you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, all I hope is that my, my love and passion and joy in riding comes through because it has truly changed my life. It's changed who I am. Um, I think it's gotten me. I told you about that phrase back there. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I remind myself of that continuously when I'm out there, because especially when I started going solo Mm -hmm. and I started racking up the miles, um, out of the 100,000 miles that I've put near 100,000 miles, not yet, I'm getting there. The majority of my miles have been solo. Mm-hmm. And um, it has been, of course, we all know about the therapeutic effects of riding sure. um, and engaging in the landscape and nature. Um, but it is, I'm never so free as when I'm on that bike. 
and the open road is in front of me. I mean, even right now, like you talking about it makes me like, I got to yep. get going. I got to start rolling again. <laughs> I need to go. It's so pretty outside. Yeah. And I just encourage anyone who's thinking about it um, to just try it. Just get on the other side of your fear. Get through it. Like, feel the fear and do it anyways, right? Right, just right. Feel the fear and do it anyways because yeah. um, you will never look back. I have not looked back. And I really had turned to riding because I, I had come through a really, really devastating time in my life. And I wanted to create a new life um, with freedom being the cornerstone of it. And uh, riding has given that to me. I'll never look back. I love asking the first question, you know, that tell me about your bike. Because, you know, your reaction, you're sitting back in the chair, and you're like, oh, girl, my bike. You know, my very first interview, you know, you could just hear the love and how much that that motorcycle represents to them. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's really, um, it's funny how we end up developing emotions, but the emotions are really built, built on memories, right? Sure. I mean, that bike is is the embodiment, the physical or the mechanical embodiment of our memories. And such beautiful um, and adventurous and uh, memories are built on the back of that bike. Yeah. So I will, I will keep my bike. I am after my hundred K I am going to, I'm shopping for a road glide. I'll oh, okay. Go road glide uh, mm-hmm. just for my cross country travel and, and the Pan American. I'm looking at the Pan American too, just okay. for off-roading. Cause I have taken, Ooh, I've taken my bike off road. <laughs> Not on purpose. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, it's been a joy talking to you. It has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. My teeth hurt. I've been smiling so much. Well, good. (laughs) (laughs) It was really fun. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to check the show notes for more information, websites, and coupon codes. If you have questions or suggestions, feel free to drop me a DM on Instagram or Facebook at Sassy Biker Sisters. Until next time, stay safe and stay sassy.